Good morning. How are we doing this morning? All right. You know, it's interesting, that second song that we sang, just in my own quiet time recently, I've been working in and out of the Gospel of Luke, and how many times that which was created, those things created by God could not help but worship, recognize who Jesus was, declare who he was, to the point where Jesus actually had to have him be quiet. And in the midst of all that, it makes me realize, my goodness, the only people, the only part of God's making and creation who can choose to worship him is humanity. And to truly worship him in spirit and truth, it's his children. Therefore, we have the choice to worship God. According to Romans, our worship is the expression of our obedience to him. In view of his great mercy on us, we are now to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is holy and pleasing to him. This is our spiritual act of worship. This is when we choose, in view of God's mercy, having received God's mercy, to now ex- just bask in it, to live according to it, and then to extend it out. And that's what we're talking about today. So what I need you to do is I need you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> this is an overlap from last week. So you're looking at the notes, you're saying, man, they look just like last week's. They're a little bit like last week's, actually a lot like last week's, but there's a tons of changes in them to, because of what we ended up doing last week, because last week we ended up going from Genesis 1 into chapter 3. Did I say 4? Yeah, so we went from Genesis 2 to 3 to 4, right, last week, right? We're in 4, we're in 4. One of the guys is laughing at me because at men's group yesterday, I said where we were going to be, and then I switched it, and half of them didn't hear me. And so I'm teaching along, and they all look at me like I'm nuts. Like, what are you reading from? All right, so here we go. We're in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1, and it's this principle of being, of, of redeeming the curse of Cain. The body of Christ is the redemption of the curse of Cain. Let's take a look at what this says here. Father, bless this word to our heart. May we just, may we just reside in you. May we choose you may we having been chosen by you may we reciprocate we pray these things in jesus name amen so look what it says here it says adam made love to his wife eve and she became pregnant this is after the fall this is after they had um, been both rebuked and cursed by god they have now been given the order to in essence fill the earth and so Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain Cain brought, here's a key component, and I I don't want to belabor this, but it goes back to what we prayed this morning, what we sang in that second song, that we chose to sing the third song in relation to the second song, Holy, 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 right? And here's where the choice is evidenced in the Scriptures. Look what it says. It says, Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain did did what? What's it say? Read it. Brought some. Brought some. Brought some. That word some is really important, especially when we see it in its full context. He brought some. There's a qualitative statement we're going to make here in a moment. Let me say that again. There's a qualitative statement we're going to make in a moment. Quantitative, meaning that the fact that something was brought is no different. Each brother would bring something. Qualitative meant 
the quality of that which they brought. But it's not just the quality of the thing. It's that the thing represents, the, the quality of the thing represents the quality of the offering, which represents the quality of the heart, which represents the quality of the expression of the heart and the choices made. They each had a choice to give to God something with respect to who God was and how they perceived him, what they believed about him, how they acted toward him. So when we go back and we look at the second song that Matt chose and we look at this idea of all creation singing, we have a choice to worship. And not only do we have a choice to worship, we have a choice in regard to the quality that we present to God, which is the the expression of the heart, the condition of the heart. So as we walk through the idea of adding to our faith goodness and knowledge and self-control, and we, we look at this as being something that we reciprocate to God, having been saved, been given everything we need for life and godliness, this by his glory and his goodness and the precious promises that it comes with, and then the invitation to participate in the divine. That making every effort has everything to do with quality. Am I in view of God's mercy? Did I realize my need for God's mercy? Do I realize my continued need for God's mercy? Therefore, do I rejoice in God's mercy? Am I grateful for God's mercy? And mostly, am I humbled before God because he would be merciful? Oh my goodness. Hmm. All of that is really important for us to, to consider when we look at the rest of this text. Look what it says. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now if we stop there, that seems just fine. But now we have a contrast. We have a comparison. Look what it goes on to say in verse 4. Abel also brought an offering. Look what it says. What is that? Fat portions. Did anyone know about fat portions? Anyone like a ribeye? <laughs> Big difference between a ribeye and a hamburger. <laughs> and it has everything to do with the fat portions. That's where the flavor is. That's where the, the, just the, the savoriness of it is. That's where, that's the best part. And not only does he offer the fat portions, he offers the fat portions of what? The first. The first the thing that would be prized the most. The thing that would represent all of his work is the first. Look what it says, verse four again. It says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now the word some is used twice there, isn't it? See, Cain brought some. Abel brought fat portions from some. So he brought the best and the first of some of his, whereas Cain just offered some of his. This is qualitative. This is an expression of the nature and the condition of the heart. So as believers, being saved and being children of God, we still have a qualitative, there's a qualitative nature to our lives that reflect a, a degree of our gratefulness for God's mercy. That's the whole point. So we go on and we'll finish this text. We'll get to, get to the meat of it, what we're trying to do today. Uh-oh, that little guy okay? 
All right, all right. Sounded like me getting up in the morning. <laughs> all right. Where were we? Verse 4, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Well, why? Because of the quality and the nature of it. But on Cain, his, and Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. He recognized that this was not a quality offering. This was not his best and first. This was an expression of Cain's heart. Look what he goes on to say. But on Cain, verse 5, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now it expresses the actual attitude of the heart and how he perceived God. Then the Lord said to Cain, the Lord was merciful to Cain. Think about this for a moment. The comparison of the two offerings is pretty significant. God's receiving one and not the other is judgment. The interesting thing here is God does not condemn Cain for his offering, but challenges him, offers him mercy and an opportunity to repent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, if you recognize who I am and who you are to me, if you will seek me with your whole heart and recognize my mercy upon you, will you not be accepted? What a beautiful offering this is. In the face of a, an offering that was at best half-hearted, if not impure, God offers him an offering. You've seen what your brother has done, and I'm not trying to compare you to your brother, but what I want you to see is the difference in the nature and the condition of your hearts, which is reflected in the offering. And I'm going to be merciful to you. I am God. I am holy. I am righteous. I am your provider. I am the one who, when you planted the seeds, caused the fruit to come. I am the one who has given you everything you have. I am the one who is the breath of your lungs. I am God. Your brother recognizes this. You seem to have missed it or taken it for granted or hold it in contempt. And if you would just see me for who I am, you'd be accepted. This is a really important moment. This is the expression of God's mercy. This is an invitation to repentance, to get off the road to destruction, we'll see that in a second, and get on the road to righteousness, the road to life. Look what it says next. Verse 6 again, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, if you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Death is waiting for you. Destruction is waiting for you. It desires to have you. And you must rule over it. You must not relent. You must not give in to it. You must not allow it to take you over. You must not entertain it or engage with it, or indulge it. Cain then said to his brother, Abel, let's go to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord God said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Where is he? Cain responds, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
Am I my brother's keeper? This is a really important moment. We went into this last week, and I don't want to, and we're going to now bridge to the next thing. The church, the body of Christ, is the redemption of this curse right here. It is God saying to us, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. This is a privilege we have of being family. This is the privilege we have. And that's where I want to go from here today. So if you follow me in the notes, you, you'll see at the, at the front of it, it says, we are our brother's keeper. What a privilege. What is the privilege of walking with Jesus and one another? That we would have those around us who love us enough to safeguard us. I think the only thing I might have wished to see in this story, not that I'm going to try to correct God in his word, but in terms of my humanity and viewing it, I wish Abel had come to Cain too and said, listen, I don't think God likes me more than he likes you. He just wants a better relationship. Now I can say that not because I want to add to that story, but because that's what the church has become. The church is the opportunity for us to go to one another when we see a qualitative difference in our lives. When we see a brother or sister who is, for whatever reason, taking advantage of or taking for granted the mercy of God and, and living a life that is not expressing the righteousness that he's been made, and go to them and say, you know, our dad, dad doesn't like me any more than he likes you. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you. What he wants is our hearts. And for some reason, there's a thing in and it happens to me sometimes too, but there's a thing in your life that's keeping you from being as qualitative as our Father deserves. And he cannot bless it. He can't bless it. And in fact, he gives us a warning. And so what we see the church become is able, in essence, rising to life and saying to his brother, no, 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 no. Dad doesn't love you, me any more than he loves you. He wants you to be right with him. He wants you to see him for who he is. He wants you to honor him and respect him. He wants you to love him and to treat him with honor. And in that, we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. You know, the blessing of Abel and his death, ironically, is that he doesn't have to see the world tumble into sin. It's as if God is using Cain's sin and Cain's anger and Cain's destructive behavior to relieve Abel of what he would see as the world begins to unravel. As Abel and his offering were received, I can assume that he himself was received when he died. In fact, Jesus speaks of Abel and his blood crying out. This is the redemptive quality of the story as we look now from the church back to the story and back forward again. Let's keep going. So we have this privilege to walk with one another, that we would have this, the, those around us who love us enough to safeguard us. It is our great privilege to walk with one another in life at, at all, that we, would be those, that we would have those in our lives with whom we share our joys and sorrows, our elation and pain, our hopes and dreams, and when those dreams are dashed, we have someone who walks with us. It is also our privilege to be the one to whom someone would come or would have come to us to speak loving truth into our, into, into our lives, to enrich and to guide, to encourage when struggling and correct when wrong. This is the body of Christ, reminding one another of the grace we have been granted, 
That's a constant reminder. Now you're seeing in your notes, it says Ephesians 4 and 5 there. Here's my encouragement to all of us. Go home and read it. Read Ephesians 4 and 5. Look at what it is that the body of Christ is to be and to do and how we're to function with one another. And a, and a key component of that is that we would speak the truth to one another. And we would do that in love. And when Paul writes in Ephesians we're speak to, to speak the truth in love to one another, it's the truth of the gospel. It's the reminder of our redemption. It's the reminder of who we are in Christ. It's a reminder that we have the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder of what a loving God we have. It's a reminder. And we're to speak that to one another constantly. One of the great joys I have meeting with, with, uh, with people and, and the men in my life in particular is that when we get together, 90% of our talk is reminding each other of who we are in Christ and what it is to be a child of God and how it is we're to live this thing out and how do we challenge others to do the same. That's, that's the life of Ephesians 4. So we go on in the notes. It says, we've been granted such a great gift, first from our Father who loves us, in being forgiven and then given instruction and correction by God's word and spirit, we experience the love of the Father who is willing to bring a moment of pain for a life of peace and even bless. So what I want to do is there's a text in here, and it's Hebrews chapter 12. And it's the idea of this, that our God loves us enough to inflict a little bit of pain in order to gain righteousness. That in the midst of our lives, when we're struggling, when for whatever reason the quality of my life is not representing the, the quality of God in my relationship with him, that, he, that there's a little bit of pain inflicted. And this is what he attempted to do with Cain to draw him back into line. Remember, God's rebuke to Cain was not to condemn him. It was actually to extend mercy. And the extension of that mercy was for the purpose of drawing him back into line. What did he say? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? In other words, won't you be back in line? And as children of God, because our, our, you know, our having been adopted, being created in Christ Jesus, new creatures in Christ, we have this permanent relationship with God through Christ by his Holy Spirit. So when we get offline as his children, he loves us enough to do the same thing he did for Cain, but he's also given us his spirit to help us get back on the right path. And so what happens is he inflicts a little bit of pain in the midst of our sin and our trouble in order to draw us back into line that we would then bear the fruit of righteousness. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 here. It says, endure hardship as what? Discipline. Now the word punishment is different than the word discipline, but they're, they're tightly knit. Pure punishment is the idea that I broke the law and therefore I'm receiving my, the due penalty of my having broken the law. And in the confines of Christ, Jesus did that for me for eternity. He took my punishment. That's why in 1 John, John can say perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And John is saying that Jesus took your punishment so you do not have to be afraid of condemnation, of judgment, condemnation, and death in regard to eternal death. You don't have to be afraid of that. Why? Because Jesus did that for you. But in the midst of discipline, there's an air of punishment that is painful based on the thing you did that took you out of line, out of, line of righteousness and caused you to behave in such a way that is not worthy of God or the worthy of the name that we carry. Ephesians chapter 4. Live a life worthy of the call. Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love. 
And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, in all the trouble that you're suffering, you need to understand that your father's treating you as children. Why is this important? If you go all the way back to the, near the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews rebukes the recipients of the letter by saying, you should be more mature than you are right now. In fact, you should be teachers. But the quality of your life right now is not reflecting the righteousness that you are. You are not making every effort to add your faith, goodness, and goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control. Da, 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 da. Therefore, I must speak to you as infants and remind you of your salvation, that you, for whatever reason, think by grace you need to leave and go back to the law. And I'm reminding you, do not try to add that to your faith. Do not doubt God's love for you. I know you're suffering. Listen, this is what he was saying to the Hebrew believers. You're suffering many trials. You're suffering, first and foremost, because you're Christians, but secondly, because you're immature and you don't know how to handle your suffering. And I'm going to tell you how to look at your suffering, whether it's a result of persecution, a result of your own sinfulness, or the lack of quality in your life in regard to your walk with Jesus. This is how I want you to see it. And this is a really important point. Look what it says now. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. Now, we could go back all the way to the beginning of Hebrews and say they're being infantile and they're immature, therefore God's treating you like a child. Or we can recognize it for what he's actually saying is that he's treating you as one of his own. And then the degree of discipline comes when he is treating us as one of his own and we're being immature. Anybody? Anyone here ever act like a baby? Yeah? <laughs> I was, oh, I see. I was just going to say, is anyone here married? Ladies, does your husband act like a baby? Mmm. Sometimes, right? Sometimes. And so it doesn't make me not my wife's husband, but it does make it necessary for her to say, what do you, what, stop acting like a baby. What's happening here is this, is we are God's children, and sometimes we act immaturely. Sometimes we act contemptuously. Sometimes we act rebelliously. Sometimes we don't actually make the right choice as to worship God with the quality he deserves. And guess what's going to happen? We're going to be disciplined. That's called sin. And because we're his children, permanent members of his family, he disciplines us. And it's not pleasant. It doesn't feel good. Anyone here like to be spanked? Anybody here like to be grounded? Anybody? Anyone? No. Nobody. It's not. Look at what it goes on to say. So it says, therefore, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. Wee-haw. So look what it goes on to say. Later on, however, it produces a what? A harvest of righteousness. What is righteousness again? It's not about being right. Righteousness is the very character and nature of Jesus bleeding out of you. And the closer you walk with God and the more you receive his discipline for what it is, and you, the, the, the better the quality you offer him, the deeper, the richer, and the more beauty of Jesus' righteousness coming out of you, it is. And it comes out that much more naturally. Again, going back to 2 Peter Making every effort to add your faith, goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and, brotherly, and godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Woo! Right? 
And so the mere, the mere proof that God would be merciful as to actually take us into his hands and say and remind us that the quality of your life is not the sacrifice I'm looking for. That's why we have to compare Romans 12 to Genesis 4. And if you want some extra reading, take a look at the entire book of Malachi. The fact is, what Paul's trying to get us to do is to be in view of God's mercy, the fact that we needed God's mercy, we still need God's mercy, and it's crazy that he would give us his mercy. Humble yourself then, offer your body as a living sacrifice, say to him, your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. Use me as you would. Make me a vessel of noble purposes, 2 Timothy 2. And this is my spiritual act of worship. This is the qualitative measure of my worship. And then I cannot help but bear fruit. Why? Because it says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can test and prove what God's will is, is good, perfect, and pleasing well. That's the redemption of what we just read in Genesis. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's why he gave us one another. So we go on. Go back to those for a minute. This is the compassion at the hand of the Father that comforts us, even when it doesn't feel comforting in the moment. Anyone here just wonder why, you know, you, it just, it just, you don't, uh, your, your, your walk with Jesus just seems sometimes painful or hollow or fruitless. Anybody? Now, sometimes it could be a time of testing, absolutely. I, I had a young man show up in my office this last week, and, he's, and I've watched him grow all summer long, eating the word, wanting to obey, looking to be righteous. He's 19, right? So it's awesome to watch this kid do this, or 20, maybe he's 20. And he came to, came to my office this week just completely downcast. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I just, I can't feel God. I said, so? Yeah, but, uh, so? He goes, but I, I want to... My, I said, do you have any ongoing sin or something you haven't repented of? N- not that I know of. He goes, well, perhaps God has you in a place of testing. Well, what does that mean? It means that he's not gonna f- you're not going to feel his presence. He wants you to walk by faith. Not, he wants you to live out what you've already attained. And it takes testing to do that. Oh, I don't like it. Yeah, none of us do. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And we had a wonderful conversation about what it is now to just obey what you know, live up to what you've attained. Walk by faith. Walk by truth. Now, in this context, though, we're talking about having sin. Look what it says now. This compassion is at the hand of the Father that comforts us even when it doesn't feel good in the moment doesn't feel very comforting. Look what it says in Psalm 38. Now, you just have a verse, so listen to me as I read this. Starting at verse 1, it says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have what? I, th- I do think you have that part, right? Yeah, your arrows have pierced me. Anybody ever you know, stuck their thumb with a pin or stepped on uh, sewing, like uh, my mom used to sew, and man, there was nothing worse than running across the room and driving a pin into the bottom of your foot. It's like, go! <laughs> now imagine being pierced by an arrow. Your arrows have pierced me. What is, what is the psalmist saying here? He's saying, man, my heart is just, like, wounded. It, it, it just burns. 
Listen to what he goes on to say. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. You know what's beautiful about that? He's teaching us how to parent rightly. God, be merciful to me in the midst of the discipline. And don't just give total, just loose, don't loose your anger and wrath on me. I had a young person come to me recently and ask me, how do I discipline my child? I said, love them. Sit them next to you when they've, you know, make sure they know what your requirements are. Warn them once when they've broken it. Sit down next to them if they refuse to relent. Put your arm around them, tell them you love them. Have an implement handy to show show it to them. Tell them the reason you're doing this is you love them. And I'd rather inflict a little pain now to bring about righteousness than to let you continue to walk in devastating pain that would lead to death. Use the implement enough so that the child knows it's been used. Put the implement down. Put your arm around them. Tell them you love them and what you expect from this point forward and that you will walk with them. You know what the psalmist is pleading for? That kind of love. That kind of mercy. That kind of discipline. That kind of faithfulness. That kind of instruction. That kind of a heart of a father who loves the child enough to inflict a little bit of pain now to get righteousness in the end. The proverb says... Hold back your discipline of your child and you are party to their death. Hold back your discipline from a child and you have declared hate for them. Our Father loves us as children and he inflicts a little bit of pain to bring about righteousness because he desperately wants to see us walk in life. That's what our Father wants for us. Anyone here ever sin? When you sin, do you hope that dad will not just fling his wrath and anger around, but he would discipline us according to our need? Anybody? Oh, how are we running out of time? Listen to what it says in Psalm 38. It says, do not, Lord, do not rebuke me in my anger or discipline in my, in my wrath. Your, your arrows have pierced me. Wow, if that's not anger and wrath. woo And your hand has come, here it is, your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. Because of your hate for sin and your desire for me to not, in essence, continue in my sin, I feel your heavy hand on me, and it is unpleasant. This is painful. He goes on to say, he says, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's anxiety and there's fear and there's brokenness. There's no soundness soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You know why? Because our guilt is a burden too heavy to bear. That's why God says, come to me. I will bear your guilt. I will relieve you of your guilt. I will cleanse you of your guilt. 
Look what he goes on to say. Lord, do not forsake me. Don't forsake me, because that's what it feels like, right? Do not let me be far. Don't, do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, Lord, my Savior. You know what's beautiful about that? Look at the next verse out of Psalm 32. It goes on to say, for day and night, your hand is heavy upon me. My strength is sapped. But he goes on to say, but you, Lord, when I confess my sin, whew, I'm cleansed. So let's go on in the notes, if you would. So we go on. Then the gift of one another. So here's the deal. So God is treating us as children. We have this gift of being treated like children by our Father. And he's willing to give us, inflict a little bit of pain to bring about righteousness, right? But the, here's the other thing. He's given us each other. Look what it goes on to say now. Then the gift, we've been given the gift of one another to extend the love we have mercifully and graciously, graciously received from our Father. And it, you know what I need to do? Stop. Where's, okay, turn to, I, I don't, I, I don't want to shortchange Psalm 32. We may have to stop here because we're running out of time. No, but then we'll go on. Next week we'll continue to cover this because I think it's important. Okay, so Psalm 32, look what it says, if you would. Because I, there's, there's hope. That you, I want us to see the hope in this. After we read Psalm 38, we're like, dude, that's rough. Well, Psalm 32 says this, listen. It says, blessed is he who's, look what it says. You there with me? I want you there. Psalm 32. Listen. It says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is forgiven. Blessed is, happy is the one who comes to the Father asking forgiveness and receives it, and receives it. Blessed he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And, and whose spirit is no deceit. Not trying to hold back the sin or cover the sin or try to hide the sin. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. This is what he's saying in Psalm 38. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It was so heavy on me. It was so overwhelming. My guilt was right there. My everything. Ugh. For day and night, your hand was what? Heavy upon me. Why? Why is God's hand heavy upon us when we sin? Because he doesn't want us to live in the pleasure, what we consider to be the pleasure of sin. We need to recognize, like Moses did, that he would not just live in the pleasure of sin for a while, which leads to destruction, but instead would suffer now to get righteousness. And God's point in this is this. Listen to me. I'm not gonna bl- I, I can't let you be blessed and think you're blessed as my child living in sin and I will put my hand on you. That's mercy. That is mercy. We cannot continue to live in sin and hope to be happy, hope to have life, hope to have a good life, hope to be blessed. We can't do it. And it doesn't matter the sin. It doesn't matter. But I'm going to say this because we're going to get into this, I think, next week. I will say this that the type of sin and the depth of that sin can determine the depth of the consequence and the weight of the hand. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week and the reasons for that. But let's finish with this hope. Band, go ahead and get in place if you would. Look what it says. So let's start at the beginning of Psalm 31 because I want us to see this hope and I want us to taste it and then I want us to run for it. Look what it says. 
It says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Now, first and foremost, if you're here and you have a relationship with God in Christ, in, in the eternal context, your sins are not counted against you anymore. They're not. You have been cleansed of your sin. You stand righteous before God, justified by him through the work of Christ. It's Jesus' righteousness in us by faith. That is not to say that gives us permission to sin now or to remain in our sin. We call that license. Galatians puts it this way. He said, listen, don't indulge the flesh. It stands in opposition to the Spirit in you. And if you do what you want, you're going to pay for it. You'll reap what you sow. Galatians chapter 6. We'll dig into that. Actually, if you take the notes home and read them, which I recommend you do, that's what they're there for, you're going to see that whole passage. Look what it goes on to say now. It says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So there's a combination of two things. Number one is, as a Christian, as a child of God, my sin ultimately is not counted against me. But the, but the, but the quality of my relationship with God will determine the quality of the life that I live here and the effectiveness of my walking with Christ, being a witness to him, which is the ultimate reason I'm here. But the second thing is this. What I cannot do is try to hide my sin and pretend it's not there or to pretend the thing that I'm doing is not sin. And that's a little hint about some of the things we're going to talk about in the next week in regard to what is sin and why, how we try to justify our sin or how we try to define our sin or try to call our sin something that it is or isn't. Why am I doing this? I want us to live blessed lives as a testimony to the world that we are little Jesuses walking around. Graciously, mercifully, faithfully, lovingly. I want us to be pure vessels, worthy of the call that we've been given, and to live a life that's worthy, to be quality, to offer quality sacrifices, which is our body. We're going to go on to say, and we'll, we'll end with this. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose, and whose spirit is no deceit. You will not be happy if you persist in your sin. And you'll be even less happy when you try to pretend the sin you're committing is not sin. Or you try to hide the sin from God as if you can. God will mock that. Not because he's mocking, picking on you, but because he'll mock the idea that this could possibly work. Look what it goes on to say. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day after day. Your hand was heavy upon me. I was miserable. I was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, I was living dichotomously a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom. For day after day, your hand was heavy upon me. It was uncomfortable. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Every time I made an effort toward righteousness, every time I made an effort toward goodness, every time I made an effort toward doing the good thing, I was just weighted down as if I was dragging something behind me. Then I acknowledged, then I did what? I acknowledged my sin. 
And I did this to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I, got a, I did away with the deceit. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And look at his faithfulness. And you, look, look at what it says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave me. You restored me. Look what it goes on to say. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You'll be strengthened. You'll have stamina. You'll have perseverance. In another psalm, he says, you took me out of the miry clay and you set me up on a rock. Look what he goes on to say. Therefore, let, verse 6, therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while they can be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. I went from hiding from you and hiding my sin from you to running to you, and now you're my hiding place. I recognize you saw it even though I tried to hide it. I, I tried to lie about it. I tried to justify it. No, I brought it to you. I exposed it to your word. I exposed it to your spirit. I exposed it to a loved, a loved brother or sister who I could trust who would hold me accountable. And in doing so, it laid waste my sin. It laid waste my guilt. And now I hide in you from hiding from you to hiding in you. Isn't that beautiful? Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. Abel hid in God. And Cain just held him in contempt. We are his children. We get to choose to worship. Trees, although they reflect his glory, don't get to choose. Birds, although they sing beautifully, don't get to choose. All of humanity, reflecting the invisible qualities of God, have in front of them an opportunity to worship if they'll choose. And we have children of God, we have the Spirit in us. And now have the right to choose to worship. And we worship when we come before God, when we stop hiding from Him, when we stop trying to deceive Him, ourselves, and others, when we acknowledge the broken aspect of our lives, we present it to Him in confession with a full trust that He will forgive us and restore us. And then we are effective with Him, and we're effective with one another. Our life begins to be blessed in ways we can't imagine. And it's not about getting to get, it's about getting to give. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse, the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not come. See, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all who are upright in heart. Amen? Let's stand and sing.